Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Podcast 14 is sponsored by WordSprint, your connection choice. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Hey, it's Hugh Ballou, and my guest today is Frank Shankwitz. Frank Shankwitz and I have crossed paths a number of times over the past few years. And this is the first time we've really had an in-depth conversation. And I've heard you talk at different places, Frank, and I want you to share some of your background with people. So welcome to this interview today, Frank. Well, thank you, Hugh, and thank you for inviting me. And um, you're known as the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. And, um, but let's, before we go to that story, give a little background about yourself. Is it true that you were um, a police officer? Yes, I had a 42-year career with uh, Arizona Department of Public Safety. I started off as a highway patrol car officer and then went to, when they started the motorcycle program, uh, started riding motorcycles for the highway patrol, and I did that for the next 11 years. And following that, I was promoted to detective, worked in narcotics, sex crimes, uh, political corruption, and eventually ended up in homicide, where I spent the majority of my career uh, I just recently retired with 42 years of service. 43 years of service? 42 years, yes, sir. 42 years. Um, that's pretty outstanding. That's pretty out- You said just recently. How many years ago? Uh, just a uh, year and a half ago. Oh, my goodness. And just finished. In fact, just finished my last homicide case, uh, carried over, and we just got a conviction on a lady and put her uh, in prison for life. Wow. Wow. I guess it's not a good idea to kill people uh, <laughs> for a number a number of reasons. But, yes. but you um, you had a vision, and how did this this idea for Make a Wish Foundation come about? Well, I have to back up just a little bit. Um, during my co- police career, one um, of riding motorcycles, the television show Chips became very popular, especially with the young children. And uh, I was on a squad that we worked the whole state of Arizona. It was a 10-man squad, a two-man team. We'd be in one town two weeks, another town two weeks, wherever they needed us uh, for the big events going on in the state, especially the tourist spots like the Grand Canyon, Sedona, Oak Creek Canyon, up in the mountains. And uh, the children, as we were riding into these towns, like looking like chips. In fact, we trained with California Highway Patrol initially all of a sudden just started waving, hey, Punch, hey, John. And it was a great PR tool. And we got permission of kind of slow times where we could go to local grade schools and talk to the children about bicycle safety, which uh, they could care less about. 
but they have more fun crawling on the motorcycles. And like I said, it's a great PR tool. <clears throat> and then in 1978, I was involved in a high-speed chase over by the California-Arizona border with a drunk driver and another drunk driver ran a stop sign and I hit him broadside at 80 miles an hour and was killed at the scene. And you say, well, you're talking, how could that be? But I was pronounced dead. My partner couldn't bring me back. An off-duty emergency room nurse from California stopped by, asked permission to work on me, and for the next four minutes, uh, kept performing CPR, heart massage, and in fact, brought me back to life. And it took six months to recover from that accident. But I kept thinking, why was I spared? Any police officer would ask that. Why, why was I spared? What's, is there a mission for me in life or something? In 1980, I received a phone call from a fellow officer who said he had just met a little boy named Chris, seven years old. Chris had leukemia. Chris only had a couple weeks to live. Hmm. And his heroes were Punch and John from Chips. Hmm. And Chris told the family members and his detective that, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a motorcycle officer, just like Punch and John on Chips. And the family asked if there was anything that he could do to maybe cheer this little boy up. And Ron, Ron Cox, a detective, knew I had worked with the children and called me and said, we're going to set up a special day for Chris with the permission of his doctor's mother and our commanders. We're going to fly him from our, his hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona, to our state police headquarters in Phoenix. And when we land, can you be there with your motorcycle? because I know you've worked with the children before. You look just like the Chips guys. Our uniforms and equipment was almost identical, except obviously ours in Arizona. But uh, I said yes, and had no idea what to expect. Uh, this little boy had been on IVs. And the interesting thing was he, that he knew he was gonna die. He knew he only had two or three weeks to live. So I couldn't imagine what was gonna happen when the helicopter landed. In fact, I thought the paramedics were gonna help this little boy out. Instead, a pair of red sneakers popped out that helicopter door. Little boy jumps out, runs over, just grinning and smiling. Hi, I'm Chris, and gives me a high five. Can I get on your motorcycle? Right away, he was just fascinated with the whole thing. And, and this, he had watched ships so much that, in fact, he knew every button and switch on that motorcycle. This is a siren. This is the red lights. This is the warning lights. It was just so funny how much he knew everything on that. And I kept watching this little boy thinking, here's this little boy, seven years old, terminal leukemia. He knows he only had a couple weeks to live, and yet he's running around like a typical seven-year-old. And right then, I just started thinking, what else can we do for this little boy? And in fact, he went on that day to become the first and only honorary highway patrol officer in the history of the Arizona Highway Patrol, complete with his own badge, his own certificate, making him a full police officer, the smoky hat. And he got to go home that night instead of back to the hospital. His doctor was with him. He said, I don't understand. His vitals are so good. Let him go back to his comfort zone. But the fellows that felt so good, what we did to this little boy, and said a highway patrol needs a uniform. And those days they were custom made. We went to the local uniform shop. We said, we have this little boy, seven years old. He's about this wide, this high. Can you make a uniform for Chris? Two ladies spent all night making a custom highway patrol uniform for wow. Chris. Wow. The next day, I led a procession of motorcycles and uh, highway patrol cars to his home. And uh, red lights and sirens, you can imagine the neighbors, I'm sure, are all running out what's going on. 
And Chris came running out. We presented him his uniform. And this little boy is just ecstatic. He runs in, changes right away, comes strutting out with the uniform he had on the smoky bear hat, as we call it, the uniform hat. Just proud as can be. But he came over to me and he said, I want to be a motorcycle officer. How do I do that? And I just, because he's fascinated by the wings on my uniform. And I just started teasing him a little bit, telling him the training we did. And I said, it's a shame you didn't have a motorcycle, Chris. We test you right here. We put up traffic cones in your driveway. Chris was a step ahead of me. He runs in the house, comes riding out on a little battery-operated motorcycle that his mother had got for him in place of a wheelchair. Serious as can be, he had on a helmet that we had provided him. He even had on aviator sunglasses like the motorcycle officers wear. He went through his test. He came back that I passed. Yes, you did, Chris. When do I get my wings? Those are special ordered also. And I said, I'll order those right away, and they'll probably take a day or two. Chris, again, got to stay home that day. The doctor who came over to the house said, I don't understand. But again, his vitals are good. I ordered the motorcycle wings. The next day, I get a call. They're ready. I pick them up. I also get a call that Chris is in the hospital, and he's probably and he's in a coma, probably not going to survive mm. the day. Mm. I went to the hospital. His uniform is hanging right by his bed. Just as I pinned on the motorcycle wings, Chris came out of the coma. He looks at me, he looks at his uniform, he's got a big smile. Am I official motorcycle officer now? Yes, you are, Chris. I hand him his uniform, he's touching the wings, he's giggling a little bit, he shows it to his mom. A couple hours later, he passed away. And I was like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. We had learned Chris was gonna be buried in Illinois, a little town called Kewanee, Illinois, and my commanders asked if I would go back and give him a full police funeral. We had lost a fellow officer as far as they were concerned. Myself and another officer went back. In fact, we did give him a full police funeral. We were joined by Illinois State Police, County and City Police, and Chris was buried in uniform. His grave record reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But flying home, Hugh, I just started thinking, this little boy had a wish and we made it happen. And why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea was born at 36,000 feet of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Amazing story. <clears throat> it brings tears to my eyes. It's, uh, <laughs> you, um, you, um, you know how to tell a story. And you've, you've well, told you. that story before. Um, so this wouldn't have happened... If you had not done something, this whole um, this whole series uh, on, of interviews is about creating legacy, but it's within a series called Orchestrating Success, and it's from my background as a conductor. We make things happen as leaders, but you made things happen in your context, and it it's not a musical context, but it is orchestrating success because you acted on that idea that you had. And my summary of what makes a leader is, number one, leaders get things done and they either know or figure out how things get done. And number three, they influence others. And in that story, you illuminated all three of those. You got it done. You influenced a huge amount of people. And you started this foundation, which is really a movement to um, honor those children who have a wish, who are terminally ill. I'm remembering as you tell a story that – had a camera store in St. Petersburg, Florida, 
and some of my friends came to me and said, hey, there's a we're part of the Make-A-Wish, and there was a child dying who wanted to have a camera, wanted to be a photographer. So we made that happen. And, and there was no question about whether we wanted to do it. We just wanted to know when. And it's a powerful, compelling story. The other part of the series is passion to profits. And we, we tend to think of profits only as all about the money. But there's other ways people benefit from this. And Make-A-Wish is, is generated some, some revenue in order to do good things. And so talk about the, what went on from there. You established this idea. And I gather you, you were involved with this initiative from the beginning while you had this full-time job with the police, right? Well, yes, yes. And like I said, I had an idea that made it work, but it took a lot of people to make it work. And the most difficult thing in the beginning was finding people who believed in that same idea. Uh, several of the officers and people that were involved uh, initially meeting Chris um, just said, it's not a good idea, it's never going to work. And, and it took it took about two months to find four other people because we had established by Arizona uh, Corporation Commission r- rules a five-member board with the president, vice president, and three other board members. And to find those four other people was a difficult task. And when I did find those four other people, okay, how do you start a foundation? As you said, I'm a full-time police officer. I'm working that the 40-hour plus because my job is usually a 60-hour-a-week uh, location. But, uh, and this is before the days of the internet, it took a lot of off-duty time in the library. How do you start a nonprofit? But we finally figured it out. And the biggest thing was I had a friend that's an attorney, and that's not an oxymoron. Uh, attorneys can be friends. But he, he helped me put it together. Another friend that was a, a CPA, he helped me put it together. And it actually only took us six months to receive our 501c3. And at the beginning, I wanted to base the foundation on integrity, accountability, and transparency. One of the big things I wanted to make sure of that none of the board members received any type of a salary, including myself, who was the first president and CEO. I wanted to make sure that every money that was donated went direct to the mission. And I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, the press and the media picked up, that here's a foundation where they're not thinking about can they make a profit from this, but everything is going direct to the mission. Well, and it's directing the profit to the purpose, really. And yes. In a, in a nonprofit, you don't you don't distribute the profit to the shareholders because you don't have any, and it's really a tax exempt charity. Um, and and the word nonprofit is really a lie. You generated profit, but you generated profit for the cause. And as I'm hearing you, your overhead was was pretty low. No salaries. The the money went toward the cause, and that's that's quite admirable. Um, in your story there, um, you were I remember those three points. Leaders get it done. They know how or figure out how how it gets done. Which you talked about that. You went and figured it out, and you brought people together, and you influenced others. I can't tell you how many people give up because they can't find people easily who agree with their idea. And there's a tenacity there that makes, makes it work. Everybody has an idea. Only three out of a hundred will do anything about the idea. Then uh, out of those three, um, 90% of them fail because they're not persistent enough to actually 
follow through and not let other people rob their dream. You had people said, oh, it wouldn't work. Well, you knew it was going to work. So you, what made you say, I'm going to stick with it? What inside you that was that <laughs> conviction that drove you to complete this? You, you and I have a mutual friend, and I just learned a word from him a few years ago. Uh, Greg Reed is a mutual friend, and his favorite term was, you had stickability, ah. which I had never heard of before, but that apparently was the cause. But I had learned uh, during the putting the foundation together, and this was in Phoenix, Arizona, and they did have a Phoenix Children's Hospital, how many other children they were with leukemia. And in the 1980s, leukemia was a death sentence for these children. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately for today, about 70% of the children are surviving uh, this, this type of disease. But I just said there's other children out there. We know there is. We need to get going. We need to have them have their wish. And unfortunately, when we started the foundation, it was all terminal. And the children did not survive. Your little but Western, today, little Western theme music going on there. Must be your phone. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Research has, has really been uh, effective with leukemia. And what's it, what's it now, 70% survival rate? Is that what you said? 70% survival rate with the majority of the type of cancers are, are life-threatening illnesses. And we changed the mission. Um, the national board members came up with a great idea about 20 years ago said, let's change our mission from terminal to life-threatening illnesses because of the fact, through the grace of God, modern medicine, more and more children were surviving. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the uh, great decisions for the current management of the Make-A-Wish Foundation because that way they're going to impact a lot more children, granting a lot more wishes. Um, and what I also hear is a good leadership principle is developing consensus with your, with your team, and your board was your team there. And um, so this is quite a story. This is quite a story. And what we're doing is featuring people who have started a legacy. And this, this uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation will supersede you for who knows how long. It will go on indefinitely because it's, it's an idea who has – you have transformed into an, ins an institution, an organization, which then now has sustainability. Are there chapters of Make-A-Wish around the world? Yes, there are now 62 national chapters and 36 international chapters on five continents. And during our first year, um, I told our board members that someday we're going to be national and international. And they all kind of laughed at me, but uh, I think I had the last laugh on that one. And I commend you for that. Leaders are, are, sure. are a person of sure. influence, and you influence this to happen just by your presence and your willpower, your stickability. Uh, Greg Reed um, um, does an event in San Diego. He's moving it to, I believe, um, um, Los Angeles. Uh, Secret Knock right. uh, 2.0, ramping it up. Right. That's where people sure. gather. Um, I was just listening uh, to a podcast this morning by another friend of ours, Ken Courtright, Today's Growth. And Ken is in this series with you, this legacy series. Um, and he was quoting Greg Reed and talking about Greg's uh, secret knock. And he talks about you on occasion. So well, people who are people of influence uh, know each other. Um, and you and I had connected uh, secret, not, not a secret knock at um, Ken's Today's Growth Income Store um, 
live event, and we have seen each other at uh, an event called CEO Space uh, yes. a number of times and been connected with Bernie Dorman, who also was in, in, interviewed in this, this series. Um, you are doing some interesting things in this part of your career. I, uh, um, you and I have been around for a few years, and I'm a fan of um, – <laughs> of continuing to make a difference in the world. Like Bob Proctor says when he's, I saw him speaking at 81 recently and he said, I don't have the word retire in my vocabulary. This is the, uh, people say, Bob, you're, you're, this was years ago, 77. When are you going to slow down? He said, I'm 77. I got to speed up. I got more to do. (laughs) And you and I are in a, in a, uh, another phase, but I'm in my third career um, as a, I had a career as a merchant, I had a career as a church musician for 40 years, a conductor. And in the last 10 years, I've been working as a, as a leadership strategist, helping people launch their ideas and build strong teams and build strong organizations because they built their skill set. And um, I commend you for your journey and, and your, your, not only your wisdom, but your commitment to that passion. And the, the way it's profited people is, is not monetarily so so much it, it, you know i'm sure the uh, make-a-wish has generated money to continue doing its work but the the profit is people have benefited in in many many ways i was trying oh, to yes. find a different word there but but many many ways but you're in a a new phase and um i heard i heard a rumor that there's a book coming out and a movie coming out how about talking a little bit about those it's, it's, I'm so fortunate. And again, this all happened a new career, my fourth career, as I call it. The first career was in the Air Force, second with Motorola, uh, then with a police officer 42 years. And when you retire, what do you do? There's not a lot of jobs for a ex-homicide detective. And I met Greg Reed five years ago, who started me on a whole new career path with speaking. And because of that, um, which led to Hollywood, as I can say, calling, and say, we want to do a movie about your life. No, you don't. Yes, we do. And the movie Wish Man is now in pre-production. The screenplay has been uh, finalized and approved, and we are starting pre-production in November of this year with actual filming starting April 3rd of 2017. So I'm pretty excited about all that. I'm I'm very flattered and humbled that they want to do this, but... uh, They've kept me involved all the way, and we're having a lot of fun doing that. Also, a book titled Wishman is coming out. It's a personal journey of mine from five years old to what helped me create the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and that will be released later this month in uh, late September. We're, we're sure. recording this in September of 2016. This will be um, – we don't date – well, these podcasts are dated, but they, people will listen to them at different points in history. Um, but maybe by the time some people listen to this, the uh, book will be out and the movie will be out and, um, they're, they can rush down to find the movie on Amazon and look online to find the movie. I, that's a great honor, Frank. Well, it is. And like I said, it's very flattering and, um, very humbled by it. And yet it's fun. Uh, they've been kept me involved all the way. In fact, we're going to film. We just got all permission to film here in my uh, hometown area of Prescott, Arizona, up in Northern Arizona up in the mountains, and the people of the local town where I grew up at here have just been over backwards for the production company to make this happen. And it's a full-length motion picture. That's amazing. That's amazing. Are you going to remember your, your, your friends when you get to be rich and famous? 
<laughs> I mean, you're already I'm famous. Not, I'm not in it. It's a period piece from 1950 to 1980. But I do have a starring role uh, in a barroom scene. I'm sweeping the floor in the background. So that's that's my movie career right there. <laughs> <laughs> have they cast the movie yet? No, they're not. The casting goes in uh, November of 2016. Uh, we're looking at several people, some nice names and that, but that's all hush-hush right now. I'm sure. You don't want to jinx it if you knew anyway. Uh, yeah. So let's go back to this this journey, which was um, pretty profound. That story is an amazing story. And if you were to define what was so important about your leadership in this initiative, what was the leadership decision that that you made or that you showed, the leadership that you showed in this process? Oh, wow, that's a hard one. Um, and, and I realized in later years that I was more of a dictator <laughs> than a leader with our board members. I had this idea I wanted to do. We had so many far out, flung out ideas, but I, I stuck with, I demanded that we continue the mission we've established on and it must have been right because our charter, our original bylaws are still in effect today, 36 years later. Hmm. One of the biggest decisions I think we made, me and also as the board, is I said nobody was being paid. We were all novices at that in this thing. It was a grassroots effort, as they call it. And we decided we had to start hiring professionals in the nonprofit world. As great, great notes say, you hire the experts, you surround yourself with the experts. And none of us were the experts. I was very good at my police career. Another person was very good in, in their career. But we were not experts in the nonprofit. And we started hiring those experts the first time we started paying salaries. And I think that was a super decision because look where the leaders have taken the Make-A-Wish Foundation today. Just the, one of the top children's charities in the world for that matter. It is. It is. And, and certainly there's very few people, if any, who haven't at least heard of Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, you can say you're a dictator. I would say that you were committed to the vision and the principles behind that, and you were not yielding to those principles. And that's a really strong, um, really, a, that's a strong leadership position to, to, to be uh, grounded. I'm looking for the word there to be grounded in principles that are so important. And because you did that, look at what you just said. It's it's still in place today with that vision and and in place. That's 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 very astounding. Were there times along the way you wanted to give up? Oh yes, yes. Um, I can't tell you how many times. Like I said, I'm working full time as a police officer, and because the money we needed initially to get this going. I work, fortunately, police officers can get a lot of off-duty work in security, uh, private security, private bodyguard, whatever. And I took all of those type of jobs I can to put money into the, my personal money uh, into the foundation. And I was exhausted. I'm working 70, 80 hours a week. And I would just say, I, I can't do this anymore. And then one of our board members, in fact, our hospital liaison, was going to say, Frank, I, we just identified another child that we need to get this wish to. And that just gave you the energy. We've got to keep this going. Love it. Love it. If, if, if you uh, pay attention to those signals, they're important. And I think paying attention is what you did. You're just demonstrating that you were alert when those things came. Well, and Frank, you obviously surrounded yourself with competent people 
and maybe even people that were better than you. So this thing went went where you wanted to go. Oh, definitely. That's why I say we hired the experts, the people that knew the nonprofit industry that had the training and the background in it. And they also had that great big Rolodex. And that's the thing we always look for in establishing not only our, our following presidents and CEOs, but also the board members, that they had that big Rolodex that they could contact. That's a key point. Surround yourself with competent people that have the contacts. Be very clear on what your ask is. And then you've generated the profit for this this nonprofit, but it's the profit that's the fuel that runs this motorcycle, which is the engine that uh, uh, provides for these children. This has been a very inspiring story. As we um, as we draw this interview to a close, um, what would, is there a parting thought that you have for people who who've got an idea, who've downloaded a vision from somewhere who've been given this this calling to do something um is there is there a tip or a challenge or or an ending wish that you would give these people who have this idea never give up on it like i mentioned greg reads uh word stickability um stick stick with what you want keep researching don't give up um I don't know how many people say I had a dream, but I just didn't follow through. Well, why didn't you follow through? It takes time. There's no such thing as failure, really. And I'm not just pushing the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, also as a charity. There are 1.2 million nonprofits in the United States. And I encourage anybody that wants to get involved with the nonprofit to research charitynavigator.org. They're the watchdog for all nonprofits. They're going to tell you where the money is actually going. Is it going to the mission? Is it going to some CEO's pocket? And uh, it will give you a good thing. But my closing thing is I like to say that everybody can be a hero. Everyone can be a hero. Being a hero means somehow you can give back to your community. It doesn't have to be in dollars. It can be in time. It can be in in-kind donations. It can be just in support. Everyone can be a hero. Frank Chankwitz, knowing you is a gift, and you are indeed a gift to all of humankind. Thank you for not giving up on that passion. And thank you, Hugh. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement to maintain your donor base. It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. Wordsprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending Wordsprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.